You're listening to Kaleidoscope, Reflections on Islam, a podcast sponsored by the Abbasi Program in Islamic Studies at Stanford University, exploring how people engage with Islam and Muslims today. I'm your host, Ambreen Bhatti, and on this episode, we're exploring how people engage with Islam and Muslims online. Someone had uh, responded to something I had tweeted, um, saying something to the effect of um, every mosque is filled with extremists who are out to kill us and hate us. And uh, I responded saying, you know, you should uh, attend, you should go into a mosque nearby um, and see that that's not the case. Um, it's, it doesn't take very long. I even gave them a link to my mosque website that actually shows you where all your local mosques are. Um, and it, what the, what the interesting thing is that when he responded, um, he actually said, I think he, he was actually revealing a little bit more than he wanted to. He said, I'm afraid. And I, and I, I, noticed, the, I noticed he was in Texas, and I visit Texas a lot. So I said, look, the next time in Texas, I'll be happy to take you to your neighborhood mosque. You know, you could see kind of the wheels turning in his head that here's this person who's saying that they're willing to take me. And um, you could see an immediate change in his tone. Um, and we exchanged a few more tweets, and he, he left the conversation by saying, peace be with you. Um, and I found it really interesting that you could take someone on Twitter from overt, open hostility to using a phrase like that. Um, it didn't take that long. It didn't take long. long. And, and I do believe that most people fall into that category. That's Shahid Amanullah, who's pretty much been talking about Islam and Muslims on the internet since Al Gore invented it. He's the force behind Zabiha.com, think Yelp for halal food, except that Yelp actually came along six years later. He also founded the online publication Alt Muslim right after 9-11 to promote critical and self-critical commentary on the Muslim world. The site now reaches an audience of two and a half million people every year. And these days, Shahid's running Affinis Labs, a Northern Virginia incubator for Muslim entrepreneurs. Just recently, Affinis, Google, and Facebook co-sponsored a hackathon to tackle online hate called No to Hate. We were, we were lucky enough to work with both Google and Facebook who co-sponsored a hackathon in um, late February called No to Hate. And the goal of this was to try to find ways to effectively, effectively counter hate online because online spaces offer anonymity. They amplify negative uh, narratives and sensational speech. They, um, they allow uh, people to lash out from in the shadows. And it's a very difficult and challenging thing to, to confront. Muslims are regularly on the receiving end of hate online. Just check out the hashtag IHateMuslims or the hashtag BanIslam on Twitter for starters. Or read Click Here to End Hate, the 2014 report published by Bay Area-based civil rights organization Muslim Advocates that highlights anti-Muslim hate online, hate expressed by public officials on social media, organized groups, news commentators, and ordinary citizens. It's some really, really toxic stuff but it's also not unique to Muslims. 
In other words, though Muslims may have it really bad right now, there are other communities who have it bad too. So it seems like we might get a lot out of working together. One of the things we wanted to do with this hackathon was not just focus on any one community. There's plenty of efforts that have been done for very specific communities, for Muslims, for African-Americans, for LGBT. But we wanted to bring a mix of those kinds of people together because we thought that every single one of those communities had something to contribute, some unique experience about online hate that they could, they could, they could bring to bear on a possible solution or solutions. And having this group of people work together would help them all understand and acknowledge and respect the fact that multiple communities go through this and, uh, and that we're not alone. So, you know, we wanted to cover everything from kids being bullied uh, in schools to Gamergate to, you know, just, just a wide variety of different uh, uh, groups of people that have been lashed out at. And it was really interesting to see what came out of it because we, we really told them, you know, just don't be bound by rules. Don't be bound by what's been happen, happened in the past. Try to be creative about it. Try to leverage the crowd. Try to leverage positive narratives, all these different things. And there were some really amazing ideas that came out of it. Tanya Mosley was on the team that came up with the winning idea. Tanya is a broadcast journalist and a John S. Knight Journalism Fellow at Stanford this year. Here's how she got involved. So I decided to sign up for the hackathon because we're in the Silicon Valley and there's so many opportunities to be a part of hackathons, kind of innovation, trying to build things that are new. This one seemed different because it really spoke to this idea of online hate and trolling. And as a journalist, I've experienced it. This one really spoke specifically to how we can combat it for those who are just out on the space every day on Twitter, on YouTube, and they're receiving these hateful messages. I'll be honest, it wasn't until I arrived at the, the first day that I realized there were so many um, Muslim Americans who were part of it. And, it. and actually, I, along with maybe two or three other people, were not. We're the only ones who were not Muslim. This spoke to me um, deeply because it really opened up my, my eyes in a real way to how this issue affects the Muslim community here in America. I didn't know people personally who, who were experiencing this. And it was through this hackathon that I actually met people that were dealing with this type of issue. Anytime they speak up about it, so in their day-to-day -day lives, they weren't um, necessarily being attacked, but anytime they spoke about it online, about fighting it specifically, or defending their religion or their personhood, they were being attacked. And I didn't realize that it was that profound. I felt an earnestness. I felt that now what I was doing over those two days was extremely important and that more people needed to be at the table. I know as a person, as part of a disenfranchised community or minority community, however you'd like to say it, that oftentimes when there's an issue, um, they're all of us at the table. So I'm African-American. So they're all of us at the table really trying to work through the issue and trying to figure out how we can better ourselves and better our communities. This reminded me so much of that because I was at the table and I realized how there needed to be so many, there needs to be other people there as well. We all needed to be there from different backgrounds to tackle this issue, that it's not just a Muslim issue. Like we need to be there on behalf of each other. To be there on behalf of each other. 
that basically ended up being her team's idea. While there is a lot of hate online, you also, especially on spaces like Twitter, you have a lot of followers and supporters. And so how could we get those who are kind of, that are friends, but also bystanders be upstanders for you? So how can we leverage that? So what we came up with was this idea called um, Activate Your Squad. And it really works specifically for YouTube and Twitter. This idea that if you are, um, if you have ideas and you're, um, posting them in those spaces and you're receiving trolls, trolls are coming at you, hateful messages, you can actually literally activate your squad, pressing a button and your squad will then be let, they will um, receive a message that you're being attacked. You can have all of your friends and your friend list be a part of your squad and they'll receive the invitation. Then they click yes. Then say a few weeks later, you might receive some hateful messages you can click to activate your squad and they will all know that you need help. And from that point, they're given a preset of messages that they can respond to. And the idea is just to overtake the hateful comments with positive ones. Click to activate your squad and they will all know that you need help. I love that. I mean, in real life, my squad's not all Muslim. So why must the folks who have my back online be Muslim? We all know hate when we see it. It's just that sometimes we don't see it. We're just not in those spaces or in those conversations at those moments. Tanya's team hopes that if we do see it, we'll do something about it. And according to Shahid, they have good reason to think that. People are fearful of, some, of things they don't know about. And, they're, and they're, it's, it's easy to get people to hate something that they don't know. And I don't think, I don't believe that even in the age of whipped up feelings, whipped up sentiment against Muslims. I don't believe that that's, that hatred is, I think it's, it's very wide and very shallow. And, and again, given that, I think that we can come a long way into defeating that. And one of the byproducts of open hostility towards Muslims in the presidential cycle is that millions of Americans have gotten off the bench, gotten off the sidelines to actively defend Muslims in the public square. I think whenever you see people being challenged, uh, particularly presidential candidates being challenged on their views towards Muslims, it's not Muslims doing it, it's the mainstream media doing it, it's American politicians doing it, it's American citizens doing it. That's great and really important, but is it enough? Especially when so much of the anti-Muslim sentiment we're seeing is being stoked by our political candidates, in other words, the newsmakers these days, what should journalists do? What's their role? Here's Tanya again. In the 60s, for instance, like when uh, during the civil rights movement, if you look at old footage for many, many years, like there was actually a three year period where people could go on television and spew hateful messages and they would be on television. And then there was a conscious effort among all networks to say, we will no longer air this and newspapers, we will no longer print this bigotry, this language. Then we fast forward to now and like we're seeing this come back up. I remember a few years ago in a news, in my one of my newsrooms, um, a we had a discussion about, will we have anti-gay folks on our air? Folks saying that it's wrong because at this point, like, aren't we beyond that discussion? There's no reason to have those people and those voices on. 
And I really do think that news agencies really need to sit down and check themselves and say, where are we going? We're like going down a slippery slope, going back to where we were 50 years ago, having Donald Trump on and people who support Donald Trump say these hateful messages, like we can't have this as the norm in our society and that we're reporting on it. Like you have a responsibility as journalists and as news organizations to really take a deep look at this. I mean, we have to stand up. One thing that I really see is I feel so strongly that we're just allowing many marginalized communities to have to stand up for themselves. And so it's not necessarily us being activists, but setting standards for what's appropriate, um, what we will have on air, what we will print, what is news? Are we just perpetuating things if we're just writing on incidents that happen versus like really giving contextual news and information to people as well as reporting on those things? Uh, it's, it's not enough for us to be passive. I can't say I'm not still worried, but I can say that I feel a lot better after talking to Shahid and Tanya. Let's hope we see and do a whole lot more upstanding for each other from here on out.